Robert M. Price is a professor of systematic theology. You probably already know him as a presenter of Point of Inquiry and also from his own Bible Geek podcasts. If you enjoy this show, I can pretty much guarantee that you'd love his work. His new book, The Christ Myth Theory and Its Problems, is intended to give us a more naturalistic and historically plausible framework in which to understand the origins of Christianity. I began by asking Dr. Price why non-religious people ought to be concerned with the origins of a text whose fundamental message we reject. It's because, as Robert Ingersoll said long ago, that there are a lot of loud people who are using this text as a weapon to manipulate the rest of us, claiming that it is the infallible word of God and those who don't kneel to it will uh, wind up in hell. Uh, And uh, that's not to say the Bible is a bad book. It's no worse than the Iliad or the Odyssey, and it's just as fascinating, but it isn't the word of God, and you shouldn't have to uh, think you must believe and do whatever it says. And it's our job as, as scholars and people who care about the public to make that clear. Just what is the Christ myth theory, besides the obvious assertion that Jesus Christ was a literary or mythical character rather than a living, breathing, historical human being? Well, it's not an ideological or anti-religious opinion. You can still be a Christian and believe in the Christ myth theory, though there are few who do, but it's just a plea for consistency. You have all sorts of ancient stories of miracle-working divine men dying and rising gods. Uh, Why should this one be taken seriously when Attis, Osiris, Hercules, and the others are not? Before I became familiar with your work, I would have assumed that Jesus was most probably an actual historical person whose achieves had been greatly exaggerated by followers. For example, in one of your podcast lectures, you gave an example of how the myth of Haile Selassie had been promoted by the Rastafarians who claimed that he was a miracle worker. Could Jesus have been such a person? Oh, indeed he could. I I never argue that that's even implausible. It's just that uh, with characters like Haile Selassie, Cyrus the Great, Caesar Augustus, around whom many of the same mythemes cluster, there is also solid secular, uh, so to speak, evidence connecting them in many ways, at many points, to world history. But in the case of Jesus, the only three such connections, those to uh, Herod the Great, Caius, and Pontius Pilate are all historically very problematical, and uh, once you recognize they're spurious, there really is nothing to to anchor Jesus in history. He may have been a historical figure, but if so, he has been so completely obscured by legend that we'll never know. In your writing and lectures, you've highlighted a great deal of mythology which predates the Christian New Testament— There are stories, as you say, of magic men who perform miracles, heal the sick and even cheat their own deaths. But there's no single character from literature or myth who does all of these things just like Jesus. Does this lack of a perfect parallel narrative provide a problem for the Christ myth theory? Actually not. The uh, various elements of what some call the mythic hero archetype, uh, uh, there are about 20 of them. Uh, The life of Jesus includes more of those than Oedipus, the Buddha, Alexander, etc., etc. It's almost the perfect case of it, but you wouldn't expect every myth theme to be present with every figure. Nonetheless, having said that, Apollonius of Tyana, a supposedly contemporary of Jesus, in the very 
long life of Apollonius by Flavius Philostratus, the parallels are nearly complete. He doesn't die and rise, but they think he's dead, and then he appears to his grieving followers, demonstrates his uh, survival, and then later ascends into heaven after exorcisms, teachings, healings, a miraculous birth. Apollonius is is almost a complete parallel, though apparently not derivative from the Jesus story. Uh, they're all just in the same categories. The stories don't look enough like them for, the, for borrowing to be likely. Uh, I suppose one of the best contemporary illustrations is Harry Potter and Star Wars, being clearly examples of the same kind of genre, but maybe aren't derivative of one another. That's right, or comic book superheroes. There are a few very basic uh, plans to the characters and their abilities and their feats. There's the human hero like Batman, the all-powerful hero like Superman, and within that there, there are many, 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 many variations, all of them fresh and interesting, but all obviously in the same category, and all of them fictitious. Your new book is called The Christ Myth Theory and Its Problems. Other than the fact that the world is full of literalist, Bible-believing fundamentalists, what are the main problems with the current Christ myth theory? Well, I'm dealing one by one with the usual objections to it, such as that uh, Paul mentions having met James, the brother of the Lord. Doesn't that mean Jesus was at least a near contemporary? And I show how the that epithet probably means one of several other possibilities. Uh, another one is that uh, uh, the Christ myth theory assumes that the epistles, the letters of Paul, and others are earlier than the Gospels, and the epistles do not know of a life of the historical Jesus. But I argue that the epistles are as late or later. Does that hurt the case for it? Uh, there's an analogy between the caliphate after Muhammad's death and the leadership of the Jerusalem church after Jesus. Does that analogy not mean that this is probably just as historical? Uh, and various other uh, issues. Uh, was there a pre-Christian Jesus cult as many of the old Christ mythers thought, but seems less likely. I show, actually, you can make a very good case better than the old-timers did. So what I'm do doing is to raise all the scholarly objections and to ask fairly, are these really Achilles' heels? And I think they're not, as, as honestly as I can treat them. Any attempt to grapple with the Bible forces the reader to acknowledge that there's really more here than meets the eye, much more than tradition would like to acknowledge. I've often felt that there's probably no better antidote to fundamentalist Christianity than a serious reading of the Bible. Uh, it's a matter of Socratic humility. The biblical critic doesn't open the Bible thinking that he knows all of it in advance because some church has told him. He uh, brackets what it's supposed to mean and looks at all the puzzling evidence and finds that it's like uh, uh, shards standing out in a field of rubble. He starts to do archaeology and begins to disclose unguessed strata of the history of the Bible and its world. And, and you realize you You've just got a learner's permit. Uh, you're just at the beginning of a fascinating journey of discovery. I think that's better and more inspiring than thinking that you've got the Bible wrapped up and in your back pocket. I think adopting Dr. Price's approach makes us more honest and effective critics of religion and its harms. I'm reminded of all the debates I've had with Bible believers I don't think I've ever managed to sway a single person because the kind of arguments that appeal most strongly to me tend to have very little impact on people 
who've made huge emotional investments in dogma. However, I suspect that arguments grounded in biblical text might be more impactful. This is Salem Fadley for The Pod Delusion.